Welcome to episode 130. Get ready to be inspired by the lovely and bubbly Carly Spina. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you know that my conversations lean towards more strategies, frameworks, and practical advice from scholars and authors. But sometimes we just need to be inspired. Carly does both of that today. In this conversation, she'll share her strategies, her stories, her approaches in a way that will inspire you to continue your advocacy work for multilingual students. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so honored today to welcome a colleague, a longtime colleague, Miss Carly Spina, to the podcast. She's going to be talking about her newest book, Moving Beyond for Multilingual Learners, Innovative Supports for Linguistically Diverse Students. It was published on November 14th, 2021, which is in close to Thanksgiving. So that I'm sure was a very thankful moment for you, Carly. Yes, it was. It's like a dream come true. And so it was a very special Thanksgiving this year. (laughs) Well, I'm sure the people who have your book and are reading it, I'm sure they feel thankful as well. Can you tell me a story from your experience, from your many years of teaching um, that has shaped your practice to this day? So um, I was really fortunate when I was in my undergrad program to explore lots of different uh, classrooms. And um, I was in the city of Chicago. I was in the suburbs of Chicago. I was in private schools and public schools. And I was able to see a lot of things happening um, with different teachers and teaching styles and program models and things like that. And When I got to one particular school, I had a supervising teacher named Madeline Suchia, and she was just this like bubbly, smiley presence in her building. And I was like, oh my goodness, I get to work with her and learn from her. This is great. And I'll never forget the first thing she said to me was, Carly, you're going to love this. We work with the best kids in the whole school. We work with the best families in the whole school. And when she said that to me about her English learner students, her multilingual students, um, it was such a breath of fresh air because everywhere else I had been, they look at me and they had said, oh, Carly, this job is so hard. Oh, Carly, we have to fill gaps. Oh, Carly, these kids are behind. And it was just laden with these deficit-based, deficit-lens thinking. Um, And so when I met Madeline, I was like, yes, (laughs) 
And that was just such a powerful moment for me. That was just like a warm hug. This is who we are as a, as a field, right? We love our kids. We're so excited to serve them. This is the best job in the building. <laughs> so I loved that. I loved that. Oh my goodness. We need more teachers like Madeline here to say, to help us see the best in students, to help us see the best in their parents to help us see the best in the community, right? So sometimes I feel like my job is to support and instruct students and co-teach with teachers, but sometimes maybe it's just to let teachers and students borrow my belief. Yes, yes, my oh, I love that. I love that, that's beautiful, absolutely. So take me into a classroom in Madeline's classroom. So she was super fun, very dynamic, very engaging, and just really invested time into relationships with students. Um, and kids came in and she would give, you know, hugs and high fives and just, I'm so glad to see you today. And every day felt like a fresh start and um, a new opportunity. And there was, there was a lot of singing. There was, you know, she did such a great job of incorporating all the domains of language, tied it into the content. Um, so it doesn't feel like, you know, isolated skill practice or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, we would walk back to classes and dance in the hallways and um, do all these things just to ensure that kids loved learning and they loved learning language and they were having fun with it. <laughs> right, right. This goes back to what Dr. Krashen said about the effective filter, right? So uh, Madeline, she created an environment where kids wanted to be there. They felt valued and they felt like, oh, I'm, I'm getting the best of this teacher and they know it. And they're like, oh, I'm going to give my best back to her. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just such a beautiful climate of um, of love. Like you could see it, you could feel it. The energy was different. It was just this, this amazing space that she created. So now let's move to a space that you created with your book. Tell us about the seed of this book. So I, um, I have to be super honest, like years ago, um, when I was, when I was in the classroom, I, was really hesitant to share anything. I didn't post a lot of things on social media. Um, I didn't really share stories with colleagues or anything. I felt like, you know, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing and I, I shouldn't share anything. And, you know, I think I was just always like, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't believe in myself, I think. And I didn't think that anything I did or said would bring any benefit to anybody. So I was just very, I closed my mouth. I didn't share a lot. And um, as I started to connect with folks online, there was just the spirit of, um, no, like everybody has something to share. Everybody has, maybe it's just like a moment of something small that happened in your, in your learning space, or maybe it was a really cool big unit design, or maybe it was a really great conversation you had with a family. Um, but take those moments and share. It doesn't have to be, you know, a dissertation. It doesn't have to be a huge, you know, blog or anything like that. Just share those simple moments because we all learn from that and we all grow from that. And it can also help to maybe shift some mindsets or disrupt some narratives. And as a 
white educator serving minority students or minoritized students, um, I really needed to um, sit down and reckon with that and say, you know what? I do hear a lot of that deficit language happening. I do see that I have work to do in terms of my own mindset, addressing my own biases. They're all there. Like we have them. We can't, you know, we can't get through life without having them. Um, and so it's important that we reckon with them, we address them. And then again, I can share those small, small moments here and there. And then um, I went to a conference in 2019 and Adam Welcome uh, was the keynote speaker. And I adore Adam. He is the co-author of many, many books. Kids deserve it. Teachers deserve it. Amazing work. And um, he said during his keynote, we need to share our stories. We need to, if there is something in your heart that you feel called to do, don't, don't hold back and don't say, oh, you know, I just need to wait until this happens or I need to wait for this many years or I need to, he's like, just do it now. Just go, go and do it. If you want to write, write. And I took that and I went back to my district that next Monday and I was debriefing with my colleague in our office. And he said, oh my gosh, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to, you know, write down some, some of my thoughts. And she said, then do it, write a book. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and that was, I was like, all right. So I started writing. Um, and then um, I felt like I didn't realize how much I had to say. Uh, <laughs> and so it was really therapeutic for me. It was, um, it was really reflective for me. And it was a good opportunity for me to just again, not share my expertise or anything like that. It was just more like sharing snippets of my story, how I messed up along the way, um, how I grew along the way, um, just all of those things. So again, it's not like a, <laughs> this is how you do it book. It's more like, this is how I flopped. <laughs> this is how I grew forward. And yeah, so that's kind of how it all started. <laughs> Well, I'm very happy that uh, you took the keynote's uh, advice to share because I think your your book, just like all the other books that I read about multilinguals, everyone shares the same message, but they share it in a different voice, right? And you have a very unique voice, and that's why we need to hear it. So everyone will, the way you share will be heard differently by different people. And somebody needs, many people need, Carly Spina to share the way you share. And the message is the same, but they need it to come from you, your own style. So I'm so happy that you wrote it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. So you have a very unique style in speaking of the book. I love it. So it, can you tell us about the voice and the structure? Yes, yes. So um, when this is going back a few years now. So when I was pregnant with my son, this was feels like a million years ago, but he's going to be 14 in February. <laughs> um, Wait, stop. When I was pregnant. <laughs> you do not look like you have a 14-year-old child. What is your skin <laughs> regimen? We need to talk. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you know, I started really young. I started really young. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Um, so when I was pregnant, my mom handed me a book and it was like, 
as thick as an encyclopedia. And it was like the book that everyone gets when they're pregnant. It's what to expect when you're expecting. And she handed me the book and said, read this. This will teach you everything you need to know. And again, I was super young and I was scared out of my mind. And so I opened this book and it was really hard for me to process and really hard for me to understand. And I was like, you know, not very far into the book. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm already, I'm already going to fail at this. This is way out of my league. Parenthood is just not like, I am not going to do this well. I can't access this content at all. And um, I felt really defeated reading the book. And so I paused and I said to my mom, I don't think I can do this. Like this is already making me feel unsuccessful. And then a few weeks went by and she handed me another book. And this one was called The Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy. And the style was completely different. I felt like I was sitting at a coffee shop with a friend saying, okay, Carly, you know, this is what they'll tell you, but this is really how it goes down. <laughs> and this is what you'll see. And this is what you'll hear. And this is what you'll notice. And this is what you'll ask. And it just, it made me feel so much better. Like, oh, I can do this. I just needed someone to tell me in this type of way and just like, cut down all the, you know, all the lingo and all the things and just bare bones, like what, what do I need to know? And so as I was writing this book, I wanted to kind of capture that. Like I, um, I love research books. Like I adore professional reading. I have stacks and stacks of books at all times with me. Um, but I think the ones that light me up the most are the ones that tell me the stories and the ones that share some ideas, but they're not saying like, this is how you do it. This is like, here's something that I tried. You might try it, but it might not make sense in your setting. So, you know, what might this lead to in your setting? Like, how can you take this and like light it on fire and make it so cool for your kids? Um, so I, yeah, so I wanted to kind of capture that kind of style, like just a teammate having coffee with you, <laughs> just chatting about what we do. <laughs> I think this goes back to the, the, the concept where I said, it's the same message, just different style. And yes, just yes. the way you talked about it, and I was like, oh, yes, this is the girlfriend's guide to MLs. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> It reminds me of like when I think the, when you were talking, I, I was thinking about the PSYOP books like Dr. Javaria, Mary Ellen Vall and Deborah Short, like their book is like the holy grail for me when I first got yes. it. Right. But it was just so over my head. And then later, years later, uh, Dr. Jana uh, Javaria and Dr. Nora wrote um, a book called uh, No More Low Expectations for English Learners. And when I read that, I was like, oh, listen, you, that's all I needed. You just needed to give me that book first. And then I can yes. jump into this one first. And it was just a different style. And I was like, oh, same people, same ideas, just a different way of saying it. And it just like, it's like the roots started to go deeper in, in that moment. Yes, 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 absolutely. And I love, I love that because again, like then it can redirect you to like, okay, now I'm ready to take on this book. And like, now I've got the right things in my brain. I've got, you know, that organizational structure or the mindset or the whatever. Now I can like go in and do this and, and try this book again and check out these resources again. I love, I love books like that. 
Well, you're going to be one of those books that people are like, oh. oh, yes. I just need my, <laughs> I need my Carly Spina, uh, Spina first, and then I'll en enter the other books. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's start talking about uh, your book because it has, each chapter starts with beyond, just like the title. Uh, so can you pick four to highlight for us today, which will be a teaser for our friends out there? Yes, yes. So um, I would love to share. So Beyond Your Title is the first chapter of the book. And in this chapter, it's kind of like a call to action. So no matter who you are in your school or in your district, no matter what your role says, all of us, all of us have the... Uh, the opportunity to serve multilingual students and families in powerful, meaningful ways. Um, so again, it doesn't matter how long you've been in this role, how long you've been in your school or district, um, how many years experience you have, none of that matters because you're there, you're there now. And those students need you and your skills and your passions and your fire. So no matter, again, no matter what your title is, you're there and you're going to, you're going to light some fires in your setting. So that was like the way to launch, um, the, the book, um, the chapter that's called beyond the newsletter, uh, is a chapter that's about family engagement and family connection. And I remember, you know, again, when I was going through my undergrad programs, I think the, the one thing they kept saying is, oh yeah, you know, you need to have strong communication with all the families that you serve. So like, make sure you do a newsletter. And I was like, yeah, great, great newsletter. And so that was the, the focus, like that is the way <laughs> to communicate with families. And as I went through my years in education and serving all these different families and different language groups and different program models, I started to really reflect on what are the ways that I'm making the most meaningful connections with my families that I'm serving? And what are the ways that they want to connect and they want to communicate rather than just having it be like Carly central, right? Or like teacher centered. So again, like a lot of us were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just send an email. And then we'll say something like, oh, well, those families didn't come to our event. They're so uninvolved. And we have to pause and say, wait, 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 wait. Did you really invite them? How did you invite them? Oh, well, we sent an English email blast to everybody. And so we're like, wait, wait a minute. Actually, we disinvited a lot of families. We disinvited anyone who speaks a different language or reads and uh, writes in a different language. We disinvited anyone who doesn't have Wi-Fi access. We disinvited anyone who doesn't check their email regularly because they don't need to. Like maybe their, their job or their lifestyle doesn't need to check email regularly. So we disinvited a whole lot of folks. And then we're sitting there saying, oh, they're uninvolved. No, 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 <laughs> it's actually us. We're, we're uninvolved. <laughs> Our practices are uninvolved and we're not engaging in the right ways. Um, and so that chapter really goes into um, family engagement and making meaningful connections and partnerships with the families we serve because they're the best families. <laughs> I'll take that from Madeline. They're the best families in the in the school community. Before you go on to the third the third one, can you talk a little more about that? So so beyond newsletter, so what do we do now? You said you share with us things that we should avoid. Let's share with us things that we can do. 
Yes. So um, in the chapter, I talk about a few different things um, that I tried and again, messed up at. <laughs> I had to revisit and tweak and get feedback from the families I served. Um, one thing that I tried that was really uh, powerful and got a lot of good feedback from families um, was this idea of bus stop outreach. So, you know, oftentimes we'll say, oh, you know, every, families come to the school, we're having this event. Um, but we also need to make sure that we are visible in our neighborhoods, in, in our communities. Um, and so we did this thing where uh, we set up some different uh, bus stop um, outreach moments where we would make signs that say like, we love our pandas. We were the, one of our schools was the Westbrook pandas. So we made signs, we love our pandas, we love our students, have a great day. Um, and then we just showed up in the morning at a bus stop. And as kids were coming out of their apartments and their homes, they see a huge uh, group of their teachers with signs and balloons and like little donut holes and Dixie cups of orange juice and passing those out and taking selfies and, and just starting our morning together in a cool, unexpected way. And as the kids are all coming out of their homes, their parents are with them, their family members are there. And they're like, wait a minute, teachers, you're here. This is so nice. So we, you know, everyone got, everyone got donuts and juice. Um, but the family, it was cool. Would you like, you could tell you were onto something when the families took out their cell phones and started filming and they were taking pictures and they're like, look at this, all the teachers showed up. What a nice way to start the day. Um, so I shared that in the, in the book. And then um, I also shared um, different ways that, uh, Again, communication, you know, we, we often say that communication is a two-way street, but nowadays communication is really more of like a highway interchange because we have so many different avenues and methods for communication. And if we're only relying on the one that, you know, we prefer or the one that makes most sense to us, we're missing on opportunities to connect. Um, and so I, I explored social media, having a classroom Instagram account, and had a lot of success with that. It was neat because I had a, a mom once share with me, you know, like Mrs. Fina, I didn't, I don't check my email a lot because my, my lifestyle doesn't require me to, um, but I am on social media because I want to connect with my own friends and family so I can follow the classroom account. I can share it with my family members who live in other parts of the world. And it was really neat one day, I had a student say, oh, I wanna take a picture of, of my work because I'm really proud of it. So we took a, a like I always called it a, a selfie share. We took a selfie of him holding up his work. I did a great job, I'm so proud of myself. And then his uncle from Mexico commented and he was able to see and follow and say, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of you. So, you know, here we are on like a Tuesday in the middle of the day and I said, oh, your Theo just messaged you. And he was just, overjoyed to have that instant connection. So it was a really cool, really cool experience. Oh, that's so inspirational. Thinking about basically what I hear you saying is reimagining, rethinking the way we interact with our parents and the way they we open up our classes to them. And one way is through social media, having a class, uh, having a school account where it's just our kids and then we're sharing in this way, where it's like the mini little shares, the mini frequent little shares instead of like the intense academic like here is a, a wall of text for us right and so yes, we're, yes. we're meeting the parents where they want to be met 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And getting to know them and their styles and their preferences, it's, it's just so important. It's right. so important. Would you go back to talking about beyond labels? So, uh, so talk more about like what, what we can do. Um, okay. So in beyond your title, um, I go deeper into, um, again, just recognizing that all of us have, um, an opportunity to serve and share and ignite fires. Um, again, no matter what our roles are. And, you know, it's, it's interesting as I talk to different educators and different roles in a school ecosystem, there are many folks who almost, um, almost abdicate responsibility and they'll say something like, you know, Carly, I don't, I don't have the training. I don't have the EL certificate or the endorsement on my certificate. Or they might even say something like, I don't speak another language, so I can't da 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 da. Um, and so in that chapter, we I talk about, you know, it doesn't matter if you are monolingual, you still have the ability to elevate languages in your space. So we can use tech tools, you know, Google Translate is, is great. It, I know it has its limitations, but it has the opportunity to just begin that journey of like, how are we making connections with our, our heritage languages? How are we making our languages visible on the walls of our spaces? Um, how are we, you know, speaking up in meetings? If somebody is saying something that's a little problematic, how are you taking your role as maybe the psychologist or maybe the PE teacher or the social worker? And how are you saying, you know what, actually, I want us to think beyond that. I want us to flip the lens here. I want us to embrace a more asset-based lens of the students we have in front of us. Um, and so again, it's, it's, you know, we don't have to have all the tools and all the answers all the time, but we do have to just step into those shoes as a change agent and say, we're doing this, we're going for it. Because <laughs> oftentimes teachers will say, I can't because I don't have the certification. I'm like, oh wait, no, you can do so much with what you already have. Yes, exactly, exactly, yep. Let's move to three now. Okay, so another chapter of the book is called Beyond Your Call to Serve. Um, and you know, throughout the book, I, I tried to hit on all the different ways that folks in the multilingual ed space serve. Like, right, we, we we are instructional leaders in our buildings. We are educators. We're teachers, right? We serve kids all day long. We are also like family liaisons. We are also community connectors. We, we serve, we, we wear so many hats as um, multilingual educators. And sometimes all of that work and all of those hats that we wear and all of those opportunities for advocacy can really weigh on us. And um, I share during this chapter a really um, raw and really emotional story of, again, when a moment when my son was really young and um, our, our district was actually doing the practice of like freezing your salary so that you continue, you know, receiving more education. So I was early in my career. I was, a, you know, a brand new mom. We had just started a tutoring program that I was running. We had also started a parent program that I was uh, co-facilitating with my, with my teammates. I was going to grad school at night. Um, and 
every moment I had with my son, I felt like I had to fight for because I was pulled in so many directions, but I wanted to serve. I I wanted to take the momentum of the good work that was happening in my school, and I wanted to keep it moving forward. And, And so I found myself serving on every committee because we needed to have an EL rep, right? We needed to have that voice for our multilingual students, families, and programs. So I found myself serving on all these committees. Um, It was a lot. And um, I found myself reaching a breaking point. Um, And so um, it's still even to this day, this was so many years ago, but it's still even hard for me to, to talk about because it just it, um, it really humbled me because I did hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Um, and I found myself just really um, at risk uh, and putting my son at risk. And um, it's, it's something that I didn't even want to share. I, I avoided writing the chapter, even though I knew in my heart I needed to tell this, this story. And I sat down with my husband and I said, you know, I'm going to, you know, I I would like to share this, even though it it is kind of a more personal story to, to our family. And he said, you know, if, if you feel that um, other educators find themselves in this position, then, you know, you do need to share this and um, we need to support uh, teachers. We need to, um, lift them up and encourage them and say, you know, we cannot serve in this way. This is not what it means to serve. We cannot um, do everything and be every role in the building. You have to just do what you can in that moment, in today, um, and take breaks and ask for help. Ask for help. That is the biggest, um, my biggest takeaway. And I hope that's the biggest takeaway for others from this chapter, um, because we cannot do this work alone. We shouldn't have to do this work alone. Um, and even again, if, if folks, are, our teachers are serving in a district or a school where they feel like they're the only one pushing or they're the only ones asking those questions or they're the only ones raising these points, um, it feels really isolating. And, um, but none of us have to do this work alone. Um, so, that yeah, that was the hardest chapter for me to write, um, but I felt like it was it was important um, that I share that story and that I again just let teachers know we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to do it all. Um, it is a marathon, not a sprint, <laughs> as, as we say a lot. Um, so that was the chapter beyond your call to serve. I feel like so many teachers who are listening right now, they're like taking a deep breath and just sighing and saying like, oh, that weight is lifted off my back, off my shoulders. Because they know they, teachers, I, when I meet teachers, I know that there's one thing that is for sure, they want to serve and they keep on giving and they keep on emptying themselves and, and pouring into their career, pouring into their students and their communities and their schools. And yet at the end, what's left, they take what's left and they give it back to their family. I'm like, ooh, yeah. wow. And so when I always, when people always ask me for a tough decision or when I have to make a tough decision, I always ask myself, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Yes. Is that no as important as that yes? Right? And mm-hmm. so I think that's the metaphor or the, the message in that chapter. Right? Thinking about yes. when we say yes to ourselves, that doesn't mean we're saying no to our students. Yes, yes, 
Beautiful. And I think, I think that's just a message that we need to keep reiterating to ourselves um, every day. And the more we can share that message with each other, the better. Um, and, and it, like, if I see a colleague saying no to something, it helps me reinforce my boundaries. So it gives me strength <laughs> that like, it gives me that permission to like, I also can say no to this and that's okay. And it doesn't make me a bad teacher right. or a bad advocate right. or a bad anything. It makes right. me a human being. Exactly. Let's talk about number um, four. Another and one. so number four, so uh, I wrote a chapter called Beyond Our School Walls. And this chapter was one of my favorites to write because um, I talk about all the different ways that we can partner with our community and uh, different agencies and organizations. Because again, our role is so large and we wear so many hats, but the more connected we are with the community, the better we're gonna be able to serve. And again, I don't have to serve every single role. There are amazing organizations that already exist in every community that are doing great things for kids and for families. So if I know about those things, I can then say, hey, you know, I don't have to be that resource. I can say, please reach out to these folks. Or I just noticed that they, you know, they shared this great flyer. Um, so I'm gonna pass that on to, to the families that I serve. Um, and so I share a few different um, examples of some ways that I partnered. Um, I, I volunteered at our uh, local food pantry and I became really good friends with the director there. And, and it's such a small world. She and I are actually part of the same rescue organization. I, I foster puppies um, and, so, and she does too. And so we, we realized, oh, wow, we're a part of the same rescue network as well. Um, and so we bonded through that, but it was, it was so powerful for me to just be aware of all the different services that um, are available to families. So at the food pantry, for example, um, if I go to the food pantry um, and I'm a client of the food pantry, not only do I have access to food and I, now I have this grocery schedule that I can, you know, fight food insecurity in my household. Now I also have access to all of these other programs. They have connections. There was this really great thing that happened um, where a local church had um, a, a member of the congregation who was a mechanic and he had a body shop in town and he knew, he knew the connection that like, so if a, if a person of a family lost their job, right there, they can't pay their, or I'm sorry, if the family member um, had car trouble and their car wouldn't start or they had a flat tire or something like that and they cannot get to work for maybe a few days, maybe an extended period of time, that puts their job at risk, which puts their rent at risk, which puts their food at risk. It puts everything at risk, right? Um, and so this mechanic knows that he recognizes that he says, you know, it might just be, you know, one, one car issue that can actually lead to a lot of destruction in a household, um, especially for members of a community who are already vulnerable. And so he said, um, you know, if, if you make this connection at the food pantry, the food pantry can then contact me if they know of a family who is struggling and I'll provide some services to help get their car up and running again so that they don't have to worry, they don't have to put their family at risk. And so again, me as just a volunteer, like I don't, you know, I don't 
do much there, but um, I'm connected and I know that this resource is new and it just popped up. And so when a family that I knew was experiencing that, I was able to make a phone call and between all the magic, between their organizations, they were able to work it out and, and make some beautiful things happen for, uh, for that family. So again, I don't have to serve every role, but I just want to be connected. So I think a good thing for educators to do is just Google, go online and Google all of the different organizations, type in youth organization and type in your zip code and then go on their social media pages and follow all the organizations on social media. I would say follow the fire department page, follow the police department page, um, community organizations like um, Rotary Clubs, all of those different groups that are in your neighborhood. They're already up and running. They're already doing great things. Just follow them. It's easier for organizations like that to post a quick social media update rather than update their website. That's usually more involved. It takes more time. So their social feeds get updated more. Um, and again, when they post flyers like, oh, we're having a pop-up food pantry, or we're having this toy drive, or we're having a, a hoodie and warm weather wear drive, or a, a cold weather, <laughs> winter weather wear. Um, then I know about it and I can direct families uh, towards those places. So it's just the power of connections and using our social media for good. <laughs> it reminds me of Dr. Zakarian Calderon and Gottlieb's book called Beyond Crises. And they talked about like, oh, it's not just about the classroom, it's about the community, bringing the community members together because everyone's invested because we can see the community members have assets as well. And so we can bring it all together. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll share a quick story. We had um, a member of our police department uh, who was kind of like, you know, officer friendly type of um, thing. And, you know, they did visits and things like that. Um, my students like became friends with officer friendly and we asked him all kinds of questions and he was monolingual. And the kids said, you know, what would, would it make your job easier if you also spoke another language? What language did you, you know, do you wish you knew? And so um, he wrote this whole thing about how beautiful it was that the students were bilingual and he admired them for that. And it was such a cool moment for the kids because, you know, these were third graders at the time and their little eight and nine-year-old eyes just like widened. They're like, oh, he thinks we're good. Like, he thinks we're heroes. He's jealous of us. Like that just flipped this whole, like, you know, lens of like, wow, we're pretty cool too. Like, you know, um, and then months later, we, we kept emailing back and forth with him. He was just so kind and wonderful. Months later, he sent us a video clip and he said, you know, students, I just want to thank you for all of your inspiration and helping me think of, um, of all the languages here in our community. Check out this video that we made. And it was a video that they shared across the town, across the city of um, all of their multilingual officers and the folks who work in the call center, folks in the front office of them saying happy holidays in their heritage language. And it was just this beautiful video. It was like maybe a minute and a half long. Um, and I think they said as a department, they had 17 languages, which was so cool. Um, but he sent us the clip shared it with the kids and the kids were like, we did that. We did that. That was, uh, you know, we were the inspiration for this video. And now people across town and everyone who follows them on social media can see like, 
languages are a beautiful thing and it's something to be proud of and brag about and <laughs> and have bragging rights saying yes we're this police department and we have this many languages and it's so cool and it helps us connect and um, it's a part of our identity and a part of who we are and um, it's a beautiful thing so it was a really neat moment it's a really neat moment because it's such an affirming moment right it's an affirming moment from like a person of authority to say no i really respect what you already have and because in our field we there are periods where people have said english only but now we're moving towards like multilingualism bilingualism dual language language like the plurality of languages it was just a really powerful moment and it gave again that affirmation of the kids this is this is a good thing it's a wonderful thing for us um and it's something again to be proud of and to brag about um and you know it's, it's interesting too, and I, and I talk a lot about this um, with folks, is, you know, as a white educator, I will, like, I learned uh, Spanish out of privilege, out of, like, taking classes and stuff. It wasn't not out of a need to survive or navigate anything, um, and I get praised. Oh, Carly, it's so great that you're bilingual. Oh, it's so great that you speak Spanish. And then moments later, the conversation will come up with, our, with the students, and they'll say, oh, that student is so low. I'm like, wait a minute, how come their bilingualism is, you're calling them low, and you're like, oh, Carly, it's so great that you speak Spanish. So it's, it's. I noticed that moment happens, it happens, and, and you know, I have to be super strategic in saying, actually, their bilingualism is actually much cooler than mine. Because again, I learned my bilingualism out of a privilege. So I don't know why we're praising my privilege and not their amazing skills. That's a cool way of saying it. Very, um, I've heard people share that, and I'm happy that you get to share that perspective once again. So let's end the podcast with this. What are what's your red light? Red, yellow, green is red is something to stop doing, to something to start doing, and something to keep doing. So red is stop, yellow is start, and green is keep doing. Um. Something to keep doing is keep noticing the language choices that we make in conversation with our colleagues, with our families, with our teammates, with our administrators. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's important that we just, again, are just cognizant of the language choices that are in the room, the language choices that come out of our own mouths, um, the language choices that we hear. When people say things like, you know, our students are low or they're low in both languages. Um, it's important that we are aware of those, those uh, choices that are made. And it's important that we redirect, we continue to redirect our colleagues and say, actually, they're not low in both languages, they're developing in both languages. And just having those small shifts in language, um, because again, language, like our words have power um, and our words often reflect our beliefs. So I would say that's something for us to all keep doing is just noticing those language patterns um, and just being more aware of it. I would say a red light, a stop. Um, I would say let's stop doing things just because that's the way we've always done it. Um, I think a lot of us go into, you know, schools and, and districts where we inherit a lot of practices. We inherit things that people will call traditions, um, and they're actually really harmful practices. 
So I think it's, it's wonderful and brave when we're able to say, but why are we doing it? Or can we try this instead? Or um, have we ever considered? Um, I think it's important to, you know, and, and again, we're all busy. Our schools are busy places. Our, our leaders are busy. Our, you know, we ourselves are busy. Maybe no one's ever questioned it before, or maybe no one's questioned it in the last five years. So be that voice, ask the question, raise the consideration. So let's stop doing things just because that's the way we've always done it. That's super dangerous. <laughs> I would say start using your voice. Um, if there are spaces in your school or in your district or in your community or even in like your community Facebook groups, um, I would say start using your voice. Um, be brave. Ask that one question. Um, reframe a statement. Um, use use like take advantage of those moments that present an opportunity for some education. Um, because again, people don't know what they don't know. And um, it's it's important that we take our, our space as a change agent and as a leader and as an advocate and just place that little question there or raise that, that consideration um, and don't be afraid, don't hold back. Um, and if you're feeling like you just, you, you know, this is a really big step, I don't wanna challenge this leader Perhaps you email them or perhaps you, you know, ask a colleague to, to voice the concern with you, um, but, but don't be afraid, don't hold back because um, we need more um, voice, uh, speaking not for our kids, but with our kids and with our families. Um, and yeah, we, we can't waste those, those moments. We have to take those opportunities and hold on to them, even if our hands are shaking, and, and voice those concerns and ask those questions. Well, Carly, you know how you said you started this book. You wrote this book because someone on stage said, go and write and share your story. I think you have inspired so many teachers who are listening right now to say, oh, that Carly Spina, she's going to get me to write now. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I know for certain that you have inspired so many teachers through this podcast conversation. Who needs coffee when they have you supporting them and cheering them on? So, Carly, thank you for speaking to the heart of teachers. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. I've always been such a big fan of this podcast, so I'm super excited <laughs> to be a part of it. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. Carly's title, Moving Beyond for Multilingual Learners captures the heart of our practice. 
we must go beyond the deficit narrative written about MLs. When we go beyond the constraining labels, the misconceptions, and the limitations, we'll see students and their families in the fullest light. If you're looking for a jargon-free, down-to-earth, girlfriend's guide to MLs, this would be a great start. The stories that are shared and the tone in which it's written really shows us that it comes from a teacher in the field practicing like us day by day. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.